And if you've got a Bible there or your phone, uh, as God had, you might want to turn back to that passage that he read for us in, uh, in Titus 1. We're going we're gonna to focus only really on one of those verses today. Um, but before we do, let's uh, just spend a moment in prayer and ask God to talk to us through his word this morning. Father, I just pray that you would, uh, you would be with us again this morning, Lord. I just, yeah, I just ask that you would, uh, you would speak to us all uh, this morning. Uh, Lord, it's quite hard for me to stand here and preach this sermon, and so I, I pray that you would uh, speak to me first, Lord, and open my heart to, to hear from you first. And Lord, I just pray that we'd all find uh, application for our lives in these verses as well, even though they... Uh, they speak about elders. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to all see, uh, no matter how long we've been a Christian, no matter um, how long we've been a member of your family, Lord, that there are things that we can all learn from these verses today as well. Amen. So in, uh, in 1917, unhappy with their leaders, their rulers, uh, unhappy with the losses that their army was taking on the Eastern Front in World War I, the Russian army mutinied against the Tsar. And the Tsar immediately uh, abdicated. And eventually, he was executed. But 1917, in Russian history, there wasn't just that one revolution. Because unhappy with the new government... Later in the year, the people rebel again. And that led to years and years of unrest and civil war. And you could perhaps say repercussions that we feel even today through history. You see, the Tsar, the leaders, even the new government that was put in place, they were in authority but misused their positions. And we see that happen time and time and time and time again, wherever we look in history. And it's a really sad truth that we can look at church history as well, the global church, and we can find examples, many, many examples of where those who have been put into leadership positions in the church throughout the world have not always been, as Paul says here, above reproach in how they have used the authority that has been given to them by the church. And so as we look at these verses, as we look at what it is to be an elder, last week, Porig helped us to think about the character traits that mark an elder, someone who is given a position of leadership, some authority here in the church. And rather than going over those same characteristics again, rather than looking at um, being above reproach, rather than looking at not being arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but being hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. We're going to think 
more about what verse 7 is telling us and have a look at some of the, some of the other uh, passages in the New Testament that talk a little bit about eldership and see what it is that an elder should be doing. So last week, Porig helped us to think about the character traits that mark an elder. And then this week, we're going to think about some of the tasks that elders do, some of the roles that an elder carries out. And again, as Porig said last week, it would actually be far easier for me to go and sit down there and listen to somebody else preach this sermon than to stand here and preach it to you. So please bear with me, and, uh, and we'll go through some of these things. So, verse 7. And the first thing that I want to think about is that an elder leads or has some, uh, some leadership in the church. So verse 7. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. So first of all, I'm going to say that if we take that, we take that above reproach at the end there, that does not mean sinless. It does not mean blameless in, the, in terms of our level of sin. Okay? So this is not somebody who is perfect. They will have sinned. Blameless is only in our future, only after Jesus returns. That's when we stop sinning, when we go to heaven. But here, there's different ways of translating this. It could be translated as unimpeachable. So if you think about uh, American presidents, they can be impeached when they break the rules, break the, break the law. They can be impeached. They can be even accused and then taken to trial for impeachment. And what we're saying here, what this verse is saying, is an overseer, as God's steward, must be unimpeachable, must be unaccused, or as John Calvin translated it, marred by no disgrace. So please do read it that way. Please don't, uh, I think as Porig said last week, please don't think that an elder is somebody who never ever sins, because that is not true. And we just want to make that perfectly clear again today. But what does it mean then, as Paul writes to Titus, and he says, for an overseer as God's steward. And what we have to think about here is the context in which Paul is writing this letter to Titus. He's writing it in the first century AD to Greek Roman households. Okay, and what does a Greek Roman household look like? I'm not an expert, but the, the people who are say that if you had one of those households, the father was the master. And there might be many generations there. There might be some grandparents, then the, the father and mother, who the father is the master of this household, children, servants, slaves. And the father is the master of the house who leads the house well. And the way that this father led the house in Greek Roman culture in the first century AD would have been an indication for probably the class of people that Paul is writing to 
and Titus is going to be appointing as elders, of how they could lead in, in government. So this is the kind of aspiration that they would have had. Lead your house well, you're going to lead well uh, when you come to the, to the Senate. Okay. And so this is the kind of leadership that they're talking about. But here, here, the father, God, leaves a steward in charge of his household. A steward in charge of God's household. And so remember, a few weeks ago, as Russell was talking, he said that Paul is going to pull out examples from the culture, examples of how they could, should uh, operate from within the culture, and either contrast or pull out some of the good things and reinforce his message. Here, he's pulling out some of the good things and reinforcing his message. And so, he's saying, Titus, go and appoint overseers to lead as the father's stewards, the household of God. That is no small task. What a task that the elders are being left with to lead in some small way the household of God. We see elsewhere in Hebrews chapter 13 or 1 Peter chapter 5 that to lead the household of God as an elder is to lead by example, to be somebody who is to be imitated, but not not lording it over those who are led, even though, as Paul writes again in Romans chapter 15, we're to lead with zeal, but not to lord it over, not to be, not to be accused, not to be impeached. So where do we find a good example of somebody who's going to lead like that? Of course, we find it in Jesus, don't we? The sovereign servant. Jesus was not a leader in terms of somebody who was going to sit in a boardroom of a Wall Street company and lead some giant multinational as a ruthless CEO, only caring about the bottom line. No. Jesus led by caring, and we'll look at that a little bit more in a minute. Caring and loving. But even though... Jesus was the king, the sovereign, and is the king and sovereign over all the universe. He was also, with all of his might, a servant of his disciples. Even going as far in all of that love, serving them by going to a cross, and dying in their place. So Jesus is the perfect example then of the, the leader, sovereign and servant with all of his being, mighty but meek. Not weak, but meek. And so then, as Jesus loved and cared, Jesus is also the perfect example of the second role, shepherding. So we lead by shepherding. And what does it mean then Jesus says that he is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd who would lay down his life for his flock. That's the level of love that Jesus has for his disciples, his friends, the people who come into his kingdom. And 1 Peter 
chapter 5, calls the elders shepherds of God's flock that is under your care and says to watch over them. And then this wouldn't, you know, being a shepherd in the first century would not have been a glamorous pastime in New Testament times. So if you were, if you were out in uh, the hills in Israel or if you were out somewhere in Crete kind of shepherding some sheep, that's not really going to have been a glamorous pastime. Sometimes we think that, that shepherds were kind of you know, outcasts from society. I don't think the Bible necessarily gives us that impression. Otherwise, it wouldn't, wouldn't keep referring to shepherds, maybe. But it's not a glamorous thing to have been doing. You know, today, if I go out in the hills or I go out in a field or something and it's a bit, a bit wet like today, I can stick on a Gore-Tex coat and I can stay dry and warm. The shepherds in the New Testament time wouldn't have had that. If I go out in the hills today and I'm around some sheep, there's no wolves in Connemara or Galway or out in County Clare that are going to come bounding along because they see a sheep. But the shepherds in New Testament times were called to protect their flock from all of these wolves and lions that were coming along to eat the sheep who were under their care. And then 1 Peter chapter 5 says, the elders are shepherds of God's flock that is under your care and calls them to watch over the flock. So I want to notice that the word is care. Okay? It's care. Other ways that the New Testament describes that, being compassionate. Or Isaiah chapter 40 talks about God carrying close, uh, carrying Israel close to his heart. That is a picture of how elders are to shepherd the flock that is under their care. Or another good picture from the New Testament, from one of Jesus' parables, of this care of this compassion is in the Good Samaritan. And the picture is when the Good Samaritan cares for the man he finds on the road. And he looks after him and he cares for him and he puts him on his donkey and takes him to the inn. And then there is another example of care as the Good Samaritan tells the innkeeper to care for the man that he has left. And so... This is, this is what we're talking about. This kind of care is shepherding. And this is what elders are called to do, to lead and to protect shepherding the flock. Going as far, maybe, as the good shepherd, laying down his life for his sheep. And so the primary purpose of shepherding is to care for your spiritual health. And so this is why elders are not called to lead as in running an organization or running a business to make a load of profit. But instead, it's watching out, protecting, caring. One of the books that I, I read as I was uh, looking at uh, preparing for today, for, the, for this sermon, 
also reminded me that elders need shepherding too. And the phrase that was used was brilliant. It says that elders are sheepy sheep. Sheepy, sorry, sheepy shepherds, sorry. So sheepy shepherds. We are sheep who need shepherding. We are shepherds. We are shepherds but sheep, and we need shepherding too. I am a sheepy shepherd. Will is a sheepy shepherd. I think Jason and Porrick would probably agree, if they were here, that they're sheepy shepherds too. We all need that shepherding. That's why there's more than one elder here, so that we can shepherd each other. But also, we don't just need each other. It's great when we get encouragement from a, from a phone call during the week to tell us how the church is doing. It's great when we are challenged. great when somebody shares a, a verse uh, with us that's encouraged them as well. We need that shepherding too. And one of the ways that we shepherd, not, our, not ourselves, but shepherd each other, is through teaching. So Porrick talked about this quite a lot last week, so I'm not going to spend too long on it, but it is mentioned uh, here in Titus chapter 1 and verse 9. The elder, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So the purpose here, the purpose of teaching, is to instruct in sound doctrine, to teach the truth and what is true about God and about Jesus. Why? Let's go back, as Russell pointed to, uh, verse 1 of chapter 1 of Titus. The knowledge of, tr of the truth accords to godliness or leads to godliness. And so teaching through preaching, through 10 to 10, through leading Bible study, through discipling is to instruct in what it is to be a disciple, what it is to follow God, sound doctrine, to help us all grow in knowledge of the truth which leads to godliness, which helps us to protect and shepherd each other. And so it's, it's one of the ways in which the, the flock are shepherded. And then the final thing that I want to think about this morning is teaching is part of preparing. So leading through shepherding, shepherding through teaching, and teaching leads to preparing. You see, we're not always here, always together, are we? We go out into the world for the rest of today. We go out into the world, most of us, probably for the rest of the week before we come back into contact with the church. And so we are this teaching through shepherding and the leadership is to prepare us to be out in the world where we're going to encounter unsound doctrine, where we're going to encounter things that we need to step away from. Um, and may contradict sound doctrine, as it says in, one to, uh, in Titus chapter 1, verse 9. 
So we need to prepare you and we need to prepare ourselves to face those things. So we need to equip everybody to be able to face the world in God's power. Discipling and helping, helping us to mature as Christians. But also, there are going to be some people, um, and this comes up in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, where that goes further, where it's to entrust this truth and to grow new elders. And so, we'll look to everybody and nurture some of these characteristics that Porig spoke of last week. But eventually, there's going to be people who are given opportunities to practice the roles and tasks and actions that we've spoken of this morning. Because we're not always going to be here as elders. We may move on. Or you know, we may get old and not be elders anymore. And so there needs to be continuation as well. So how do we, how do we apply all of that? Well, first of all, Jesus commands us to love and care for each other. Not just as elders and a flock, but as Christians, as disciples, followers of Jesus, our good shepherd commands all of us to love each other just as he loved us. That's one of the ways that Jesus says we were going to be marked as his followers, as his disciples, by showing the same kind of steadfast, unwavering, enduring love that Jesus showed to us and shows to us. By being caring and compassionate for each other. Remember the Good Samaritan. That wasn't, that wasn't Jesus saying, this is how to be an elder. This is the kind of care and compassion you need to be. Remember, he was asked, how do I show love to my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And the Good Samaritan is part of that story. And so we are to show that care and compassion as we love each other. Maybe, maybe I'm pushing this a little bit far, but if you're put into any leadership position in a home, at work, in a, in a club like guides or scouts or in a sports team, you can look to this model of leadership as well that, that is set out here. Lead well, but not ruthlessly. Care for those who are put into your care. Watch over them. Teach them. Prepare them. But above all, be an example of Jesus to them. Whatever situation you're put in like that. And then, and then pray for Will and Porig and Jason and me that we may lead and shepherd and teach and prepare faithfully. And we'd be clothed in the Lord's might and strength to do that as we sang earlier. But not, not so that we can do it for our, for our own glory, not so that we look good, not even so that you 
look good and that you are glorified, but to God's glory. And also, I'd ask you to pray and to consider. Soon, Will and I are going to Oranmore. We won't be here as elders anymore. Certainly, we could do with a third elder in Oranmore. And I'm sure Jason and Porig, who will be left here to lead and shepherd and teach and prepare, could do with another elder as well. So pray. Pray that God would raise up those to fill the gap that is left as we go to to Oranmore. And that maybe somebody would be raised up as well to fill in in Oranmore as well, to to give us an extra... uh, pair of eldering hands in in Oranmore. So, love as Jesus loved. All of us are called to do that, commanded to do that, to be marked as his followers, to show that same care as the good shepherd showed. Care for those who are in your care as the good shepherd cared for you and cares for you. And pray. Pray for us to be faithful elders. And pray for some new elders as well. Let's pray. Father, I just, I do thank you for these verses that are so challenging to, uh, to stand here and, and preach from. But Lord, just also thank you that for those of us who are elders, that we don't, um, we don't do this in our own strength, Lord, that we, we are empowered by you through the Holy Spirit. And Father, I, uh, I just ask that we would be faithful to you in leading and shepherding and teaching and preparing the people here in, in Galway and in Oranmore. Father, I also pray that you would deepen all of our love for each other. Lord, I pray that you would teach us more and more what it means to care for each other as you cared and care for us. I pray you would show us how we can care and love for each other as the Good Samaritan cared for the man on the road. And Father, as, we, as we've already prayed for the church in Oranmore, Lord, today, I just pray again. Lord, I thank you that you are, are calling us there. I thank you that you are growing your kingdom and rooting a church in Oranmore. But Lord, I pray that you would raise up the elders to, to fill in here. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the, the right people as well to, to help us lead in Oranmore too, Lord. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.